So turn uh, in your Bibles, go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3. If you're new to Stones, we, we've been in a series of messages in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're calling it The Lion Roars. And uh, today we're going to look at Jesus' calling of the 12 disciples. And uh, really we're going to see in this passage what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to see really the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So let me just kind of begin asking a question that we've kind of talked about in the past, but let me, let me kind of go back over it. What, what is a disciple? We, we say that word a lot. We talk about discipleship. What, what is a disciple? A disciple really is a follower. It's a, it's a learner. It's a student. It's a, an apprentice of Jesus. And so a follower of Jesus who uh, follows the Son of God so that, so that they can learn what it means to be a child of God. That's, that's really what a disciple is. And so the goal of a disciple is that you would follow Jesus in such a way that, that when people see you, they really begin to see Jesus. When they see you, they see your character, they begin to think of Jesus. That's really the goal of what it means to be a disciple. And so the truth is, all of us are disciples of someone. The question is, who's discipling you? So we're all learning, we're all being trained, uh, we're all uh, being invested in by someone else. So the question is, who, who's discipling you? You know, some of us are, are really disciples of Jesus. We're, we're following after Jesus. We're following after his ways. Uh, we're, we're pursuing uh, his character and his presence in our lives. So we're disciples of Jesus. Others of you are disciples of the world. And really you're pursuing the ways of the world. You're, you're pursuing, you know, the desires of the world and the philosophies and, and the values of the world. And so we're all disciples of someone. None of us are just neutral but we're being influenced by someone. And this is why this is so important. And it's this, really, because your life is going to reflect the one who's discipling you. So, so over time, what's going to happen is your life begins to take on the life of the one who's pouring into you and investing into you. And so if you are spending time with Jesus, you're going to become more and more like Jesus in your character. If you're pursuing the world and the things of the world, your life's going to reflect that. There's no way to hide that. It just comes out. And it comes with a very stark warning from, from John's epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where the apostle John says this, do not love the world or, or the things in the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I think what a lot of times what we try to do is we're trying to mix the two. We're trying to get the best of both and mix it. And what John is saying, what John is testifying and helping us to see is you've got to make a choice. And that trying to live for the world and live for God at the same time, being discipled by the world and pursuing whatever it is we're interested in from the world and then you know, pursuing you know, Jesus a little bit on, on the side just doesn't work. And so you have to make a choice. And what we see is the disciples make that choice. Uh, they make that choice after Jesus calls them and chooses them. So we're going to read uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. And just out of the reverence for the word of God revealed to us, I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's word together today? 
So Mark records this. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And so the grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God, they last forever. You may be seated. So let me give you a little bit of context for what we're, we're reading today. So Mark, Mark gives us several details of this and, and they're all connected to our story um, in, in very relevant ways. I think, I think the first part is that just understanding that wherever Jesus went, because of the nature of his ministry, great, great crowds followed him. I mean, huge crowds followed him. And so even to the point where you're reading in the Gospels and he's, he's ministering in this, around the Sea of Galilee, and oftentimes he would get in a boat and he would push offshore because the crowds were so big. He had to get away from the crowds just so that he could speak to them, so that, he could, so that he could teach them and that they would not crush him, Mark tells us. And so it'd be kind of like, you know, it'd be kind of like if Taylor Swift or Peyton Manning shows up on a Friday night at a Center Grove football game. I mean, what kind of reaction would the crowd give once word got out that, that, that they were there? Well, whatever you imagine that to be like is what Jesus experienced from the crowds on a regular basis. They, they knew that he was a healer and they came, they came to see him uh, heal them of their various uh, diseases and, and just physical ailments. And so Mark also tells us that people came from all over to hear Jesus. So it's not just kind of people coming from, you know, the, the, the villages that he was around, but, but he tells us specifically here that people were coming as far south as Edomia, which is 120 miles to the south of where Jesus was. And not only that, but, but, but Tyre and, and Sidon, people were coming from there. That's 50 miles to the north of where he was. And so, you know, people didn't have a lot of money back then. Most people were poor. And uh, they didn't have Uber back then, so they were going to have to walk uh, to, if they wanted to see Jesus. So, so a lot of people are coming from great distances to see Jesus. In addition to that, the, the territories that they were coming from were ethnically diverse. So these are Gentile people, not just Jewish people coming to see Jesus, but, but Gentile people. So word was spreading all over the region about the ministry and the power of Jesus. And then Mark also tells us again that the demons recognize Jesus again. They're very, they know exactly who he is. They recognize him immediately. They fall down before him and say, you are the son of God. And so Mark tells us that, that Jesus spoke to them and told them you know, to be quiet 
uh, basically saying, it's not my time yet for, for who I am to be revealed. I want, I want you to be quiet. And they completely obey him. And, uh, and so you just see the power and the authority of Jesus' word. And then you see, again, Jesus calling the 12 disciples, and they follow him at the power of his word. And I think what this passage really shows us is the essence of discipleship. I think what this passage reveals to us is just what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Just the basics of, of what it really means. If you just kind of simplify it and boil it down to, to its essence, to, to the nature of what it means to be a follower. I think that's what we see in this passage. So I just want to share with you uh, that there are two parts of discipleship that every single Christian is called to. Two parts of discipleship that every single Christian is called to. Number one, Jesus calls us to be with him. He calls us to be with him. And number two, he calls us to be sent out for him. And so let's look at the first one. Jesus calls us to be with him. So being a disciple means being with Jesus. So Mark tells us that he's up in the mountains around the Sea of Galilee. And this is often where you see Jesus when he's alone, he's praying. And Luke tells us that he prayed all night long and then the very next day, he calls the 12. He chooses the 12 disciples after a night of prayer uh, when he is, he is by himself in, in the mountains. And so what I want you to notice here is that Jesus chooses the 12. That's what I want you to see. These are the ones he desired, Mark tells us. These are the ones he called. These are the ones he chose. They didn't choose him. He chose them. And so what that tells us is that a relationship with Jesus is always initiated by Jesus. That we never come to him on our own in, in some imagine, imaginative righteousness that we have. But Jesus is always drawing, he's always calling, he's always wooing us into a relationship with him. And that's exactly what is, what is happening here. I think it's also interesting to note these 12 guys that he does call. They're just 12 regular dudes. That's all they are. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. They're just normal guys. These guys that he called, they're not from the elite of Israel. They're not from the politically connected. They're not insiders with what's going on in the world. They're not rich and famous. They're not exceptionally gifted and talented. They're just, they're just normal guys. And these, these are the people that Jesus chooses to invest in. And I think that should be very encouraging to us because you know what? We're just ordinary people ourselves. And this pattern you see throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God over and over and over chooses to work through the ordinary, the down and out, the weak and the powerless to accomplish his purposes in the world. And that's all that we are. And that's who he chooses to work through. Now, you might ask, well, why does he do that? I'm not really sure. I just think it might bring him great glory. Probably brings him the greatest glory. And what it does is it frustrates the strong and the mighty because God's power and glory are revealed through people who understand that it doesn't come from them. That they, they realize their need for God, that it really comes from God. And I think that's part of what's driving the heart of God. And so the first thing that Jesus does 
is he calls these disciples to be with him. You see this in, in verse 14. Notice what Mark tells us. And he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Now, you know, this is, I think this is a significant detail here that, you know, we would be tempted to kind of quickly just move on past and not really think about it. But, but he's, he's calling them to be with him. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. Now, here is Jesus, the son of God, who's left heaven and come to this earth on a great mission. And his mission is to redeem humanity. His mission is to, to seek and to save the lost. He's got a huge mission. And uh, you would think that uh, he would have a, this huge task list of things that need to be done. And that, that as soon as he calls the disciples, you would think, I mean, just kind of think about it practically, that he would hand them this, this task list so that they could start getting all the task list done. But that's not what he does. He's not interested in what the disciples do for him. He's interested that the disciples be with him. And that's huge. That is significant. See, he's not calling them to activity. He's not calling them to accomplishment. He's calling them to know him. He's calling them to be with him. To know his heart, to know his presence, to know his power. He's not calling them to do anything just yet. His priority is that they would be with him. Now, let's think about what this really means for all of us. Um, you know, because we, we live in a culture that is very much accomplishment-oriented, achievement-centered. Uh, we, we live in a culture that likes to, you know, and I'm the worst at this, likes to check things off the list in doing a lot of good things. But that's not what Jesus is after. He's after them being with him. Now, what does it look like when you hear that phrase, being with Jesus? What does that look like for you? What do you imagine that to be like? When you hear the phrase, being with Jesus, what, what typically just comes to your mind when, when that kind of lands on you? Is it experiencing him on a Sunday, being with Jesus? Is it, is it spending time in prayer, I don't know, two or three times a week? Is for you being with Jesus, you know, kind of including him on your, the major decisions of your life? Is that what being with Jesus is all about? I, I think those are all really good things, by the way. Uh, but I don't think that's what Jesus is really after. I think what Jesus is really after is an ongoing, life-defining relationship. I think that's what he's after. An ongoing, life-defining relationship. That we would know him, that we would walk with him, and that we would delight in him. I think that's what he's after. I think being with Jesus means that you're, you're growing in your knowledge of him, your, your knowledge of the heart of Jesus in such a way that you're growing in your love for him. And it impacts every other relationship that you have. I want to show you a passage from 1 Peter. Obviously, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he's writing to other disciples of Jesus who didn't have the privilege of seeing Jesus face to face. And this is what 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. 
So now he's getting really to the essence of what it means of being with Jesus and being a disciple. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, uh, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what he's talking about is, is that Christianity, being a Christian, is first and foremost loving Jesus and knowing him and walking with him and delighting in him. It's being filled with a joy and seeing his glory in such a way that it impacts you. It impacts, it infiltrates every, every relationship with you have, every, every part of your being. I think that's the calling of a disciple. I think that's the calling for every single one of us. As I think about this, you know, I think about the time that I proposed to Luann, um, you know, many, many years ago. I had hair back then, uh, so it's been a long time. But, um, but when I proposed to her, you know, I, I got down on my knee and I, I, I didn't say, uh, Luann, w- will you marry me so that we can hang out one day a week? I didn't say that, praise God. Um, I, I didn't get down on my knee and ask her, Luann, will, will you marry me so that, you know, whenever I have time and whenever I can kind of fit you into my schedule, we could be together. I didn't ask her that. I, I didn't ask her, Luann, will you marry me so that, you know, I could get your feedback on some of the biggest decisions of my life. I didn't ask her that. Uh, she would have pushed me off a cliff if I had asked her those things. Um, you see, marriage is saying something completely different. It, it's, it's, marriage is like an ongoing life-defining relationship. That's what it is. And, and so when I proposed to her, I, I, I basically communicated that I, I wanted her to be a part of every area of my life. I wanted to be with her. And I wanted to be a part of every area of her life. And I wanted to share every facet of our lives as, as much as we possibly can. I wanted to share every moment, every detail, every, every, every part of my life with her and, and hers with mine. And I think that's the relationship that, that Jesus calls us to. That's the relationship of discipleship. You see, this, you see this touched on in Ephesians 5 because this is the kind of relationship Jesus has with his church. And so it's the one relationship that defines and drives every other relationship in your life. You know, I don't hang out with Luann on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock and Thursday mornings at 7, you know, and then say, well, you know, I'll just see you next week. That's not what it is. Our lives overlap completely. And so if somebody asks me, hey, Scott, do you want to go to a movie? My, my first thought is I'm going to ask Luann first. Well, Scott, you know, I got this job opportunity. Well, I'm going to run it through Luann first. Well, I got this for you. I got that for you. I'm going to run it through her first. Every, every, it's a life-defining relationship. Like if you're talking to me, you're basically talking to her. That, that's the way it is. Because my life is her life. And it's the one relationship that defines and drives all other relationships that I have. That's the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not some lackluster, lukewarm, take it or leave it kind of thing. It's just not that. It's a passionate love relationship that defines every other relationship that you have. 
And so practically, what does this look like even beyond that? Well, Jesus came physically on the earth for 33 years. He died, he rose, and he ascended into heaven. So what does it mean to be with him in 2022? Well, the way that Jesus has set that up is he has really set that up that we would experience who he is through the knowledge of his word. That's how we come to be with him in 2022. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what we have is recorded in Scripture everything about Jesus. So if we've seen Jesus in Scripture, guess what? We've seen, we've seen the Father. So if you want to know his ways, you want to know his character, you want to know his power, you want to know his peace, you want to know his presence, then you need to know his word. Because this is who he is. It's the revelation, it's the revealing, if you will, of who he is. And so we see this but so clearly in Luke 24, verse 27. Jesus has just, Jesus has been resurrected. He's making different resurrection appearances. He's on the road to Emmaus with some of some of the disciples, and they're so excited, they, they're, they're walking, they see this man, and they're telling him about the resurrection of Jesus. It just so happens to be the person that they're telling about Jesus is Jesus, but they don't recognize him. It's kind of a funny story in Luke 24. But I want to show you what, what Luke tells us. He tells us that he was, started talking to them and then he revealed himself to them and their eyes were open. And then he says, and beginning with Moses, with all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what he did is he explained to them what they knew of the Old Testament and how that pointed to him. That the entire Old Testament really is pointing to Jesus. And it's funny because a lot of people will say, what, you know, about the Bible, they'll say that that's just your interpretation. As if there's 50 different interpretations. They're not 50 different interpretations. There's only one interpretation and it points to Jesus and Jesus gave us his interpretation. And so it's all about him. It's about his character. It's about his priorities and it's about his values. And so the only way you know Jesus is by knowing his word. And so that's why I'm challenging you, church, to let the Word of God be your priority in your day. To let knowing your Savior be your first priority every day of your life. And you will come to overcome more and more whatever it is that holds you down through the knowledge of Him. If you'll just give yourself to devouring and studying and learning his word. It's a challenging, it's a challenging task. It is. But that's where, that's where the joy is. And that's what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus calls the disciples to be with him. Secondly, Jesus calls the disciples to be sent out for him. He, he calls us to be sent out for him. Look again at verse 14. So he appointed the 12 and he also named apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And so earlier in this passage, we saw how popular Jesus was. We saw that his, his ministry was drawing crowds from, from all over. And, um, 
And, and so it's just fascinating. Now what we see is Jesus calling the 12 and then he turns and says to the 12, I'm giving my ministry to you. I'm delegating my ministry to you. So it's no longer just going to be my ministry. It's now going to be your ministry. What you've seen me do, you're now going to do. That's what he's saying. Now, let's just kind of think about this for a minute because this is, this is really so important. So when Jesus died and rose and then ascended into heaven, who took over the ministry? Well, the apostles did. Now, when the apostles died about 20, 30 years after Jesus, who took over the ministry for them? Well, the people, the men and women that they discipled. And then when they died, who took it over after them? Well, the men and the women that they discipled and on down the line for 2,000 years. Now, this is, not a, this is not a trick question, but I want you to just think with me for a second. Who is now called by Jesus to be sent out for him in 2022? All of us. You know what that is? It's next man up. Next woman up. We're the next ones. It's our time, church. We've been called to go. And I know you're tempted to think, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to let them do it. There's no them. We are the them. You know what I'm saying? We're called by God to go for him 2,000 years later and to be representatives of his kingdom. We're called to do the very two things that Jesus called the disciples to do, to preach, that is to proclaim the gospel, and then, and then to receive the authority from Jesus to cast out demons. So let me just kind of, let me just talk about these two. So Jesus was a preacher, and uh, everywhere he went, he preached the good news. The good news is what he preached, the good news of the kingdom. Mark tells us that in the very first chapter of his gospel. And so, and so everywhere he went, he preached. And, uh, you know, I've just studied Jesus' ministry, and everywhere he goes, he's, he's just not real uptight. You know what I mean? Like, everywhere he goes, he's, he's not worried about how people respond to him, or he's not worried about if they accept his message or not. I mean, he's just not real. I mean, it's just kind of a take it or leave it kind of thing. He's just real nonchalant about it because his confidence is so strong in the Father, he's not worried about it. And that's a great lesson for us. We don't need to be worried about it either. We just need to go. We just need to go and to preach for him. Mark 138 says, he said to them, let, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out to go and preach, to go and preach the gospel. And so what Jesus is saying is what, I, what I've done is what we are all to do now in 2022. Now, some of you in your minds, as I'm sharing this, you'd rather me be preaching on tithing at this point, you know what I mean? Um, because you've started disqualifying yourself um, with the different line of excuses that usually, that usually present themselves. And I've done this long enough, I, I know them like the back of my hand. And so a lot of you are saying, well, Scott, I'm just not a preacher type. You know, I'm just not, that's just not me. I'm the strong, silent type. I just, I just want to be a witness. I just want to be, I don't want to say anything. I just want to be a witness with my life. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. All right, can, can I just... Can I just shoot straight with you on this? Uh, 
what you're saying there is, in essence, what you're saying is your life is so good and so righteous. Your lifestyle is so good and so righteous that people are going to see you and they're going to fall at their knees before you and they're going to come to Christ just by observing your life but never hearing a word from you. And that's, that's a pretty tall order. Um, that's a very strong confidence that you have in yourself. You see, the truth is, your life certainly is a part of your witness. But just your life alone is not sufficient to lead someone to saving faith. Because the Apostle Paul said it like this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So the gospel is a power but the gospel is a set of ideas. So you could say it's a powerful set of ideas. So you need a lifestyle witness, of course, but they need to hear the gospel. That got the word, the gospel, the good news has to be spoken. It has to be articulated. Paul makes this point in Romans 10, 10, 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, he answers the question, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, who share the message of the gospel. And so that's Paul's point, is that the only way to salvation is by sharing the gospel of Jesus. Now you say, well, Scott, I'm not eloquent. I'm not really a speaker. Well, I mean, most of the disciples were fishermen. Uh, have you ever heard fishermen talk while they're fishing? They just grunt all the time. You know what I mean? So they're not great speakers either. Uh, and then some of you say, well, I've not been formally trained. This is the first day the disciples are on the job. I mean, the very first day and he's sending them out. Uh, they haven't been formally trained either. Jesus is just throwing them out there uh, sink or swim early on that's what it is and so and so obviously they they just have to go and share and and uh and so and so I think that's what he's calling them to do that's what he's calling us to do as well now what is what is Jesus what does Mark mean by preaching because I think when we hear that word you think of what I do every Sunday and you think, well, I could, I could never do that. Well, that's not what he's really talking about. I think when he's sending the disciples out, they're just going village to village. And they'll just go to a watering hole. They'll just go to a marketplace. They'll just go where people are hanging out. And they just walk up and they just say, guys, I just have some good news to share with you. The Messiah that we've longed for, that we prayed for, he's here and I want to tell you about him. I think that's all they did. And, and I think that's all they had to do. And uh, I think that's what he's calling us to do. They just started conversations. And church, you can do this too. And uh, you can do it in your context with the people that God has surrounded you with, with family members and friends, and, uh, and just starting conversations. You can go to the mall and you can ask anybody that's just standing around, hey, you know, I know this is kind of a strange question. I, I've done this, by the way. What do you think happens to you after you die? People have all kinds of ideas about that. People want to talk about that because that's on everybody's mind. And uh, it's just a great way to, you know, share that there's good news uh, through Jesus about 
about life after death. So it's, it's, just, it's just a matter of removing the barriers in your mind and heart that keep us from, from being disciples, from being sent for him. Now, let me just add to this that it's really not our job to convert people. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So what that means is that just takes all the pressure off us. Because it's not my job to convince someone. It's not my job to convict anybody. It's not my job to convert anybody. It's just my job to throw seed out on the soil. That's just my job. Just to, just to cast seed and let God do with it whatever he wants to do. And so it just takes a tremendous amount of pressure off because God is the one who does the converting. It's a supernatural work. We, we don't have that power within us. I think part of it is understanding that evangelism is a process. And, and Jesus says, my, I'm at work and my father is always at work. Do you know what the work of the father and the son really is? It's the work of converting people. And the father and the son and the Holy Spirit are always at work doing that. So that person that you want to share with, that person you want to invite, that person that you're praying for, God is already working in their heart. And you don't even know it. You may not even be aware of it. And so, so much confidence comes from realizing that the Spirit is already drawing them. The Spirit is already wooing them, already pulling them, already speaking to them in ways that would just make you uh, wide-eyed in wonder. And so, and so now, there's some people that are not open to the gospel, you probably know some of them. And then there's some people that are. And God uses two things to create openness in people to the gospel. And this is what you need to be looking for. God uses times of tension to create openness in the hearts of people to the gospel. So look for people who've gone through a divorce. Look for people who've gone through some loss in their job, some job transition. Look for you know, someone who's struggling kind of physically. So any kind of tension, any kind of financial kind of thing really creates openness in people. Then the other type that, that God uses is not just times of tension, but he also uses times of transition. So a new baby, a new town that we just moved to, a new job, all of those things kind of cause us to sit back and whoa, you know, reevaluate. So you want to be looking, you want to be praying uh, for those people. I've, I've heard that the average person hears the gospel eight times before they commit their lives to Christ. So it could be that when you share the gospel with someone, you're number six, you're number five, you're number seven, or man, you're number eight. You get to pick the fruit. You get to lead them to Christ. But no matter what you're doing, you see that evangelism is a process that God has invited us to be a part of. And all we want to do is further that process and continue that process in your life. So, so that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, some of, us, some of us have greater gifts at this than others. Some of us will have greater fruit uh, than, than others on this. That's okay. It's, it's God has called all of us to simply be faithful. So, so you, your preaching may never be in a pulpit, but it might be in a park with other moms. It might be in a cubicle at work. It might be on the ball fields with some other dads. Uh, it, might be, it might be any, 
any place, but we're called to be good news tellers. Look again at, at verses 14 and 15. He says that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Now, what's, what are we talking about there? So he doesn't tell them to go cast out demons. He tells them they have the authority to cast them out. And this is a mediated authority. So the authority doesn't come from our goodness or our knowledge or our expertise. It really comes from the power of the Holy Spirit that is granted to us by God. So you see throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus commanding the demons, and they do everything he says. Everything he says. He tells them to be quiet. They're quiet. He tells them to get out. They get out. And so that has been conferred to us as believers, as representatives of Jesus. So we not only speak for Jesus, but we, we really represent his authority. Now, sometimes I'll get this question, you know, Scott, why is it that we see so much demonic activity in the Gospels, but it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like we see that much demonic activity today? Why is that? I'm not really sure the answer to that question, but I will, I'll share a couple of thoughts with you on this. First of all, uh, there's demonic activity. All you have to do is turn on the news, right? I mean, just look at the fruit of the enemy and what he's doing. When you think about drug abuse, you think about crime and murder and corruption, you think of, you see the after effects of it. I think, I think there's a couple of reasons why we don't see it outright, why it's so hidden and subtle in America today. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I think number one, our materialism. I think we're so materialistic in America uh, that we get distracted by our stuff and we get distracted by money and it just kind of pulls us out of the game. And, um, and I think the enemy doesn't want to reveal himself if that might cause you to seek Jesus. See, he doesn't, the enemy doesn't care if you're worshiping money or stuff. He just doesn't want you worshiping Jesus. So he's fine to stay hidden, which is what I think he's doing, just as long as we stay connected, tethered to stuff. The other, the other part of this is just the, the kind of the hyper-intellectualism that's in the United States today. And what I mean by that is, you know, you hear the phrase all the time today. You hear it, trust the science. Trust the science, right? We hear that all the time. And it's as if science is ultimate reality. So the thought is, well, this stuff's just mythology. It's not really real. This is a primitive people. We need to trust what we know. We need to trust the science. Now, church, I'm all for, you know, science. God created it. It's a gift from God. Okay, but it's not ultimate reality. Uh, God is ultimate reality, and there are dimensions that we that we can't always see. And so, again, the enemy doesn't want to reveal himself. He doesn't want to manifest himself. If that might spur you to trust Jesus more, right? I mean, he doesn't want to do anything to cause that to happen, so it'll stay hidden. Now, if you want to see the demonic, you go to Nigeria, you go to Haiti, you go to Paraguay, you go to third world countries where there's not the materialism, there's not the hyper-intellectualism, there's just day-to-day -day survival, and you'll see, you'll see the supernatural right there in front of you. And the great news is Jesus has authority over all of that, 
and he's conveyed that to you and to me. Let me close with this. What does discipleship look like here at Stones? So if, if discipleship is being with Jesus and then being sent out for him, what does that look like here at Stones? I, I, I like to kind of describe discipleship in, with three words. And we use these words a lot. Uh, we use the words belong, become, and beyond. And so when you see what a disciple is, there are three characteristics of every disciple. And the first one is there's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of I'm, I'm here a part of something bigger than myself, the family of God. And so when he calls these 12, he calls them to be with him, together with him. He doesn't call them to be alone. He doesn't call them to be isolated. He doesn't call them to be Lone Ranger Christians. You can't follow Jesus by yourself, church. You've got to be in community. You've got to take that risk and be in community. And so we describe that as belonging. And what we want to be, our vision as a church, is not where you're a name on a roll, but you're a person known and loved by God and by others. And so we want to cultivate that here. I think secondly, discipleship is becoming like Jesus. That's the second word we use, become. That discipleship is becoming like Jesus. And we become like Jesus as we study God's word. And so here we are at the beginning of July. Next month in August, we're going to start sharing with you the offerings this fall for our D groups, for our classes, and for our men's and women's Bible studies, for opportunities for you to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. Now, we don't do it in July. We don't offer that as much in July because we're, you know, all on vacation and doing those kinds of things, but we're gearing up for the fall. And I want you to be thinking about where you're going to plug in and how you're going to grow in your knowledge of God's Word. We're, the men and the women are going to be studying First Peter this fall. We're going to be launching new D groups, discipleship groups, these are groups that meet regularly for Bible study and prayer and accountability and sharing. We're going to be doing some classes. I know one class that we're going to be offering is a class just on the spiritual disciplines, on how to pray, how to study God's word, and how to grow in your relationship with Christ. So these are great ways for you to grow in your faith. And, and so we want you to take those steps as we roll those out in just a, just a few weeks. And then lastly, we like to say that discipleship is going beyond yourself. You know, it's going beyond you in your world so that you're serving, you're serving others, and you're sharing the gospel. And we want to provide and do provide uh, many ways to do that. We, we have a ministry here called Loving Beyond, which is we offer a free meal to the community. And a lot of people come for that. And it's a great way for you to pray with people who are struggling. There's a great way for you to connect with people and minister to people who, who are really struggling and, and, and uh, are going through a hard time in our community. Uh, we have a ministry called Stones Auto Service. It's an auto repair ministry that we do right out back of the church where we repair cars for people uh, in need. It's a tremendous ministry. We've got um, a healthcare clinic that we're, we're hoping to be able to open. We, we've, like I said, we, we do mission trips uh, to El Salvador. We've, we've gone uh, to Haiti a lot of times. We're going to be firing those trips up uh, in 2023. We want you to be a part of that. We're going to be, um, this year, we're going to be sharing uh, and equipping you to share your faith so that you can have confidence, so you can present the gospel 
uh, in a powerful way. So we, we want to mobilize you to give away what God has given to you. We want, we want to mobilize you to be disciples. That's our job, for you to grow and to go. That's what you've been called to do. Now, why in the world would we do that? Why would we, why would we go to all this trouble so that we can equip you to, to grow and go? Well, the answer is because Jesus, Jesus was sent here for us. The answer is he loves you. And he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know his power. He wants you to know his goodness. He wants you to know his peace. He wants you to know his presence. And if you don't know those things, then you're missing your purpose in life. You're missing everything. And so Jesus came for us, and we're going to go for him. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you are amazing in all that you do. Thank you that you're more real in the air we breathe. And I pray today, God, that you would, you would raise up disciples in this room who will be with you and who will be sent out for you. And so, God, would you just give us ears to hear? Would you give us a soft heart? Would you give us eyes to see your glory and your goodness? That our relationship with you would be the driver of every other relationship. That we would just have this ongoing, life-defining relationship with you. We're growing more and more in our love for you. And that that love would just be revealed to everybody else around us. And so God, would you do that? Would you do that in our midst? Would you renew us today? Lord, I know that there are those in this room that are struggling. I know that there are those in this room that are doubting. There, there are those in this room that are just pinned down with guilt and with shame. And God, just through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you set the prisoner free? Would you open us up to the truth? Would you show us your glory? Would you give us your grace? That we would be men and women, we'd be students who, who love being with you and who are sent out for you in bold love. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.